0: Hello everyone, good to see you. Um, I've just posted the link to the Bible reading plan on our Facebook page for the Melbourne City Adventist Church Facebook page and so you can also go there to click directly onto the link and it'll take you to the Bible reading plan. I'm looking forward to journeying with you for the next 14 days through the book of Psalms. Today is the last part of our series on the Jesus story from various people's eyes. So we started with Mary's eyes, the mother of Jesus, and how she had to let go of her own expectations and to accept God's will for her life and for the world. Then we looked last week at Peter, um, looking at the Jesus story from Peter's eyes and how he had to learn to increase his fear and his faith in God in order for them to become bigger than his fears. And today we're going to be looking at Nicodemus. Um, now the Bible doesn't talk about Nicodemus very much. In fact, it only mentions him three times. Um, and in, in all three times, uh, it's found in the book of John. And so turn with me as we look to the first time it's, uh, he's mentioned in John chapter three verses one and two. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So this text tells us that Nicodemus was from the ruling class. So he was from a very privileged socioeconomic, uh, place. He was, uh, he had political influence. But not only that, we find out that Nicodemus was a religious scholar, someone who was very respected. Um, in fact, Later on, um, Jesus says, you are the teacher in Israel. So he's not just a teacher, he's the teacher in Israel. He's someone that people would go to, to ask questions about the Bible, about the uh, scriptures, and he would interpret it, he would teach. And so Nicodemus was someone who was very well respected for having spiritual insight and wisdom. He led a very comfortable life, but he also was very open to what God was trying to teach him. He was very devout, and he was always uh, trying to learn how he can grow in his relationship with God. Now, Nicodemus you know, was, was an older man, and he was troubled because there was this young man named Jesus. There's just 30 years old who was from Galilee, who was going around saying and doing things that really troubled him. For example, he heard that Jesus went to the temple and, and overturned the tables where the money changers were exploiting um, the the people. The people would come to the temple to worship, and instead of letting them uh, sacrifice and, and do what they're supposed to do, these merchants and these money changers were... Being opportunistic, taking advantage of the fact that they came from afar to, to come to this temple. So they would charge them extra and would make it very difficult for them to be able to afford uh, doing what they needed to do. And Nicodemus heard that Jesus went to that place, overturned those temples, drove those merchants out, saying, Hey, this is my, my father's house. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. Nicodemus was troubled by the fact that not only did Jesus do this, but, but but afterwards, people would come to him and Jesus would heal them, not only physically, but also spiritually offering forgiveness, giving them comfort for their broken hearts. Nicodemus was troubled by all this. He was troubled by the fact that Jesus pointed to the temple and said, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And the people mocked him saying, <laughs> We built, it took 46 years for people to build this temple. How are you going to build it in three days? Preposterous. All these things troubled Nicodemus. He could tell that Jesus was from God because only only God would be able to provide these miracles. But it was troubled that Jesus was saying things and doing things that, that, that really poked at Nicodemus' worldview. And kudos to Nicodemus he seeks truth. And so he comes to Jesus, but he comes to him in the middle of the night. And Nicodemus, as was the custom, starts with a bit of praise and flattery. He says to him, um, you know, Jesus, I know you're a teacher, you're from God. And Jesus replies and gets straight to the to the uh, unspoken matter in Nicodemus' mind. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again how can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I think Nicodemus was taken aback by Jesus's piercing statement. You know, they say that sarcasm is the protest of the weak, And so Nicodemus is taken aback. And so he kind of, you know, just becomes ironic and, and, and sarcastic. How, how can someone, you know, go back into the mother's womb? He knows that's not what Jesus means. But Jesus' statement shocks Nicodemus because his whole life, he and the other Jewish uh, teachers taught that the chosen people, the children of Abraham, could enter the kingdom of God by entering into that covenant relationship with God that God had given to Moses uh, and the people of Israel so long ago that if they kept that covenant with God, that they could be saved. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus goes on to say, very truly I tell you, You see Nicodemus wants clear answers. he wants a formula he wants a clear exegesis of the biblical text, saying x plus y equals z right It was very clear before you keep the covenant that God gave the Israelites, you keep the laws, you you, you obey his commands, and you'll be saved. But Nicodemus doesn't like what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the spiritual birth. He talks about how you don't know where the wind is coming from. You can only see the effect and and Nicodemus is confused. So Jesus continues to explain himself. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The story that Jesus is referring to here was when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were bitten by venomous snakes, and they were dying. And um, the people cry out, and they say, you know, take take the snakes away from us. But God, in his mercy, doesn't just take the snakes away. Because if he had done that, those who were already bitten would die. He does something else. He tells Moses, I want you to make a, a snake. Make a snake, put it on a pole, and, and have it lifted high. And whoever looks at that serpent on the pole shall live so moses makes this bronze serpent and he puts it on the pole and anyone who got bitten by the snake could if they looked at that pole they would live all they had to do was look all they had to do was believe that looking would save them in the same way jesus says to nicodemus i must be lifted up And whoever believes and looks to me will live. And here comes this famous passage in this conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, you see, to us who have perhaps heard this verse before, it sounds like good news. But for Nicodemus, this was very troubling news. Because belief in Jesus was not something he was ready for. It was not something that he had expected. His whole life, Nicodemus had been taught to live a certain way, to do a certain thing, to worship a certain way. But then here comes Jesus and says, you could only have eternal life through me. And that faith in me is going to change you from the inside out. And it's going to make you like a newborn babe. And Nicodemus is thinking, this is too scary. A newborn babe is too vulnerable. I have too much to lose. And so he walks away. He walks away, but he continues to think about what Jesus says. And we see Nicodemus' name pop up again nearly two years later. Jesus' public ministry has peaked, and the religious leaders are starting to plot to kill him because he has too much influence with the people. He's saying too many things that, like I said, completely shattered their worldview, completely shattered what they were teaching, what they had established as, as a religion, as a society, as a people. And so the Pharisees, who were the, the ruling party, uh, there were three different... Um, Parties in in the Jewish um, uh, culture at that time, the society, and the Pharisees were the ruling ones in power. And they sent temple guards to arrest Jesus, and the temple guards would come back and say, "We've never heard anyone talk like him. He speaks with authority." And so they wouldn't arrest him, and they were getting frustrated. And we see in John chapter seven, verses forty-eight to fifty-two, the the religious leaders are angry. Have any of the rulers or any of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them, right? They're furious. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And so it's very interesting here that Nicodemus is not exactly standing up for Jesus. Jesus. He's kind of defending the law. Hey, our law, let's follow our law. Let's follow p- policy. Let's, let's follow the procedure because he's too scared to actually say, no, Jesus is innocent. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. And, but they can sense that Nicodemus, you know, is, is not exactly on their bandwagon. So they start ridiculing him. Are you from Galilee too? Right. And so they turn very quickly against him. There's a, um, in, in the commentary I was reading this week, uh, Gary M. Butch, the author says, "Nicodemus portrays a character whose life has not been completely penetrated by Christ, who asks questions but does not become a disciple, who listens but does not believe. Disciples confess Jesus' identity, remain with him, and tell others. You see, Jesus acknowledges that Jesus uh, sorry, Nicodemus acknowledges that Jesus is from God. But he doesn't go as far as to say, he's my God. He's not willing to go far enough to say, I'm his disciple. So he stays very much in the shadows. Um, Even though he's done his best, he's not willing to go all the way. And so he cannot stop the tide. And the Pharisees arrest Jesus and they crucify him. Nicodemus, along with the others, would have witnessed Jesus carrying the cross. He would have witnessed Jesus' hands and feet get nailed to that wooden pole. He would have witnessed the mocking sign sarcastically written above him, King of the Jews. He would have witnessed the soldiers stripping Jesus naked and gambling for his clothes. And he would have heard Jesus quote that first line of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Nicodemus, who had memorized that psalm, who knew that psalm by heart, who had preached about that psalm, would, would then remember the rest of the lines. And it, would, it was almost as if he was he was seeing the lines lived out in the reality, because the rest of the psalm says this, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. They pierce my hands and my feet. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And so Nicodemus is hearing that psalm in his head as he's watching it happen in front of him. And Nicodemus realizes this is what Jesus meant when Jesus said, I must be lifted up. I must be lifted up. And whoever believes in me will have eternal life. And as Jesus cries out, it is finished and bows his head, and dies. And in that moment, the earth quakes, rocks crack, and the veil in the temple tears from top to bottom. Even the Roman soldiers cry out, this must have been the Son of God. And in that moment, Nicodemus sees the bloody, naked body of Jesus on the cross. And he remembers how Jesus said, you have to be born again. And births are bloody, and messy, and miraculous. And in that moment, Nicodemus believes. After Jesus dies, we see Nicodemus' name for the last time in the Bible. In John chapter 19, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea who asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds or 34 kilos. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. A typical Jewish funeral, a burial, um, used about 5 pounds or 2.3 kilos of myrrh. Nicodemus brings 34 kilos of spices. That's way more. In fact, that's what, what was used for royalty. The modern-day equivalent is about $200,000 today. Can you imagine the smell that much spices would have produced? Have you ever walked into a spice store or a spice market? Imagine 34 kilos of myrrh. And alo, everyone could smell that Nicodemus was honoring G- Jesus, and everyone could smell and see that Nicodemus is saying, "Jesus is my king. I'm giving him a royal burial. His highest priority is no longer his reputation, his social standing, his career, his family, his wealth. It's his highest priority now, is showing allegiance to Jesus." And so Joseph and Nicodemus, two men who, who previously were afraid, who previously were shamed, now tenderly, carefully wrap Jesus' body with 34 kilos of spices and linen, and they lay him in the tomb just as the sun goes down. The work is finished. Sabbath has begun. And for Nicodemus, the rest, the peace that come with that that first Sabbath he experienced as a newborn disciple of Jesus. Church history tells us that after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, Nicodemus continued to be faithful. In fact, he actually financed much of the early Christians' ministries. And despite the persecution from the Jewish leaders and the persecution from the Romans, Nicodemus remained unashamed of Jesus for the rest of his life. You know, many of us are like Nicodemus. We find it hard to commit 100% to being a disciple of Jesus because we care about other things more. It's not that we don't care about Jesus, we do, but we care about other things more. Our lifestyles, our careers, our friends, our social standings, our reputation, our image. We care about what other people think of us. Even people we don't know and even people we don't like, we still care about what they think of us. And so we put a lot of effort into pleasing people, into impressing people, into looking good and smart and successful and funny and and all these things. It's exhausting. But at the end of the day, what's it all for? You know, during the second lockdown, Roy and I said, you know what, we're going to do things differently this time. Last lockdown almost broke us. And so this lockdown, when we do remote learning, we're not going to try to get all the school work done. You know, every day they send us three to five different assignments that we have to to we have to teach Michael how to do them. Once he does them, we have to take pictures and then we upload them. And last time it was so stressful, and so we said this time we're not going to stress about that. We'll we'll try our best, but if we don't get through them all, we won't we won't, you know? We'll prioritize the parent-child relationship. You know, that's that's what we're focused on. But my personality <laughs> right it bothers me so much like when you complete the assignment it goes from green to gray and there was one assignment on a tuesday that that was gray. uh, uh sorry that was still green and every day i see that and I, it bothers me so much <laughs> i want i want to go back and finish it but and i have to keep reminding myself right um remember what we we talked about and you know on fridays there's a virtual assembly where they post videos um and this week was featuring the grade 1 students and their and their schoolwork and so they showed all these children doing their you know what they what they submitted to the teacher puppet shows someone did like an elaborate graphic um digital like show and and other kids who did like immaculate math you know charts and you know perfect handwriting and By the end of that video, I'm, you know, that part of me that cares very much where my child stands and and where I stand as a parent felt so inadequate. And again, I had to remind myself, Micah's doing really well. He's learning, he's growing, he's happy, he's healthy. And I keep having to remind myself when he grows up and he looks back at this time, he's not going to remember what lessons he learned in school. He's only going to remember how he felt during this time right? And, and in, in 10 years, how do I want Micah to look back to this time? Will he say, oh, I remember crying a lot because my parents were so you know, angry with me because they wanted me to finish all my tasks. Or is he going to look back and say, you know what? I had to stay home, but I had such a great time with mom and dad. We learned together. We went biking together. We, I just remember it, it was the most time I had with my parents. And I have to keep reminding myself because it's, it's so hard to go against the tide, right? It's so, it's so easy to forget our priorities and to get caught up in the comparing, to get caught up in the striving to keep up with the Joneses. And that's why Jesus says, you must be born again. I recently watched online a musical about Alexander Hamilton, the first secretary of treasury in the U.S., And the writer Lin-Manuel Miranda does an incredible job of portraying the ambition of this young man who's so eager to make his mark in history, to climb the social ladder, and to make a name for himself. But he's never satisfied. He does more, he writes more, he plans more, but things don't quite work out the way he anticipates. Because life, greed, ambition, it takes and it takes and it takes, and it will never be enough. We have to be born again going back to gary m butch he says christianity is not something that you follow as much as it is a power that transforms god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life do you believe that Do you believe that? As we embrace this truth and as we turn our eyes on Jesus, the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out so that his approval matters most. His calling becomes the mission of our lives and we confess with our words and our actions that he is the resurrected King, worthy of our worship, worthy of our devotion, worthy of our service, Worthy of our public confession, unashamedly, that He is our God. And I pray that as Roy sings um, the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, that we would choose to accept by faith what Jesus has done for us. And that as a result, we will experience that rebirth. And that we'll be able to live by the Spirit, changing what we prioritize changing what we follow and changing what we invest in. May God bless you.
1: His word shall not fail you, he Paul.
0: Please join me in closing prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for us on the cross. Help us to believe that it is as simple as that for us to look to Him and live, to be reborn. And Father, just as the wind comes from somewhere we cannot explain, but that we can see the effect, Father. We may not be able to explain how that mystery of conversion happens in our hearts. But Father, help us to, to trust that the Holy Spirit is stirring our hearts, that it is working to transform us from the inside out. And as we see the results of that in our lives, in our choices, in our desires, Father, may we say yes to you more and more. And may we continue to turn our eyes on you so that we can every day be born again as a new creation, to follow you all the way and to be unashamed of you and to stand unashamed before you when you come again. Give us strength this week to be kind. Give us wisdom to be patient and help us, Lord, through this difficult time to think of ways that we can serve others and help us, Father God, and have mercy on our world and heal us from not only the coronavirus, but from the sinfulness and the selfishness that we all experience every day. And give us freedom, Lord. We pray in your son's name. Amen.